we're not just over here thinking about ourselves. I mean, our mission is peace, peace on earth, right? hundred percent. I really think that that's part of Kaula, that's part of bringing redemption, is to focus on the good. And in my, in my own spiritual practice, um, I also try to focus on the good and try to, um, to thank God in a very explicit way for, um, for the very many blessings that I have and that all of us have in it. That is part of a, a spiritual discipline. That really, in all of the different aspects of the work that I do, um, trying to shine positivity into the world. Today, we're here with Dr. Rivka Lambert-Adler. She does so many different things. She is a Bible and prophecy watch reporter on Breaking Israel News. She lives in Israel. She moved here in the year 2010 from Baltimore, where her husband was a synagogue rabbi. She was inspired after September 11, 2001, becoming passionate about the land of Israel and the final redemption, about which she has been writing, speaking, and teaching ever since. She is the editor of a book called Ten from the Nations, Torah Awakening Among Non-Jews, available on Amazon. She is also the coordinator of the Torah School for the Nations, which meets in Jerusalem. She holds a PhD from the University of Maryland. Rivka, you do so many different things, and I'm so honored to have you here with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. So... Let's start with your story, if you will. Tell us a little bit about your life, where you were post-2001, and the whole evolution of, of this work that you've gotten into. Okay, um, I'll try to be brief because I'm old and <laughs> there's a lot of phases to the story. Um, but it's important, I think, for people to know that I was born Jewish, but I was born into a family that wasn't um, wasn't so into Judaism. And I had no, like zero Jewish education as a child and only began um, studying anything that had anything to do with, um, with Torah, with Jewish, with the Bible, with Jewish history, with the land of Israel, any of that stuff <clears throat> until I was a young adult. And um, kind of funny story, after I finished my master's degree, I signed up for a community class called Introduction to Judaism. And it was like a 15-week course, and I knew, I had just finished my master's degree, I knew how to be a student, so I took this course, and it turns out I was the only Jewish person in the course, because the course was really designed for people who were dating Jews, and they wanted to learn a little bit about their culture and background and so forth, but because I knew so little myself, um, I was it was right at the right level for me. And I learned a tremendous amount, although later on I became much more, um, much more observant and much more aligned with the, um, the Orthodox branch of Judaism. But at the time I, I knew so little that, that, that was my beginning. Um, fast forward a whole lot of years. Um, in 1996, I married my current husband who was a pulpit rabbi already. Um, so I had advanced quite far in my own Jewish journey. And um, I started around that time, you know, when you're married to a rabbi, you get, you get a certain amount of credibility um, that devolves onto you. And so I started teaching, I started teaching women who were 
beginners in Judaism. And that was a, just a real pleasure and a joy for me because, of course, that had been me. And so I could really relate to them. Um, and as you mentioned, on, I really thought that our whole life was going to be in Baltimore the rest of our lives. And that didn't work out. So on September 11, 2001, it was very clear to me that Hashem said, you know, this chapter is closing and it's time for you to um, to start a new chapter. I had no idea what that was. I just knew that we had to leave Baltimore and move to Israel. Um, and it's only playing out now that I understand that what I'm doing now could not have been, I could not have been done, could not have been done there. For 25 years, I worked as an administrator in colleges and universities, um, mostly with the University of Maryland, but with a few other places as well. And um, I left that a few years before we before we moved to Israel, and I did a few small things, none of which were particularly important. But what was interesting is that I started, I, I got involved in Facebook pretty early on because I had a, a young, um, like an adolescent daughter who wanted to go on Facebook, and I didn't know what it was, and I didn't want to let her on until I could see what was going on. So I made an account for myself. This is going back quite a number of years, and um, she's now 30, and I'm married and a mother herself. But at the time, uh, what I found was that there were actually a lot of adults on Facebook. I thought it was kind of a kid thing. And there were a lot of people from Israel on Facebook. And that's how I began um, very slowly to to build my network um, in Israel. So what happened was um, I started getting messages and I didn't understand what Hashem was doing in the beginning. Now it's becoming clear, but I started getting messages from non-Jews from all over the world who had some kind of connection um, to Israel or to Judaism or to the Jewish people or to Torah or something. And I, 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 it was so, such a puzzlement to me. Like, why are they contacting me? Like, I'm certainly not the only Jew on Facebook. How did, how are they finding me and asking me their questions? And it became a little clearer later on that Hashem was preparing me for a much bigger mission um, okay, that, that's a really long on-ramp. It's, it's, I, have, I mean, I have so many more questions for you about <laughs> what you just shared. So to recap a little bit, you grew up, as you said, without any Jewish education Correct. or Jewish observance. Okay. So what was it about Judaism in the beginning? I mean, here you are now, as you said, you've been prepared for this big mission. You, I mean... Googling your name, I come up with article after article across the span of the political spectrum in the news here in Israel and abroad, and you've reached out to people of so many different faiths all over the world with your passion for Torah. So what was it about Torah or about Judaism for you that, that drew you in from this place where you had nothing at all in the beginning? Um, that's a great question. So in the years before I became interested in Judaism, I was looking, I realized in retrospect that Hashem was gently guiding me back to Torah, but I was looking for some kind of spiritual, I didn't even have words for this at the time. I just, I wanted my life to revolve around something that mattered. And I had no clue what that was or how to find it. And so I dabbled in a whole bunch of other things. It never occurred to me in my 
early 20s that I would find my spiritual home in Judaism, which is kind of ironic considering that I was born a Jew, but I had all these misconceptions about what Judaism was at the time. And so I went looking in all kinds of other places, um, some of which are not so kosher, but looking for a way to nurture what I now understand was my Jewish soul. And um, I didn't find any place to land in all of those other places that I looked in other faith traditions in other um, kinds of metaphysical um, disciplines. Nothing really resonated. And I never intended to become a Torah observant Jew and certainly not a rabbi's wife and certainly not living in the land of Israel, but um, Hashem had a different plan for me. So um, it started out strictly as an intellectual curiosity that I just wanted to know what does, how did you see things in the world? I never, never intended or thought in a million years, considering the background that I came from, that I would end up living the life that I had. But I just kind of put one foot in front of the other And every new opportunity that came up, I took advantage of. And that included uh, beginning to learn one-on-one with with a young woman who had been um, religious all of her life. And I was really pretty ignorant back then, but she was very patient with me and taught me some of the basics. Um, and, And one thing led to another. And I just found that it's now decades later, three decades later, and I, I'm in, you know, that's, I, I, I think that God picks certain souls um, and kind of taps them on the shoulder and presents opportunities to them to bring them back. And I was very, very blessed because if you would have met me in my teens and even, even in my early 20s, you never would have imagined that this would be the life for me. But, um, but nevertheless, here I am. Wow. Okay. So it's so interesting how you bring up this this inspiration that you had to create a meaningful life. And just this morning, I came upon your Facebook post from today, which was a beautiful picture of Mr. Fred Rogers and his quote that says as follows, you rarely have time for everything you want in this life. So you need to make choices. And hopefully your choices can come from a deep sense of who you are. Yeah, I love that So. It's incredible that today you posted that and that's still where you are. And that's what inspired you and got the wheels turning so many years ago in this spiritual direction. And what's fascinating about your story is that you didn't just stumble upon Judaism. You looked in, as you said, all of these different arenas, you looked across a spectrum of even religions and philosophies, as you mentioned, and when you, you know, where you are now and where you are in your 20s, you said we wouldn't really put those two together. So out of curiosity, what were you like in your 20s when you were on this journey and when you were looking and how did that process unfold? Well, um, I, I had a, a solid secular education, but I did not live in a world where people talked about God or talked about the Bible or talked about the soul So I was very much in my head, um, and and I actually thought that maybe that's where I was going to find my meaning. Um, It just wasn't in my world. It's so funny now because now I resonate with people really across 
um, across the spectrum who, whether they're Jews or not Jews or have any relationship with Torah or not, but if they are godly people, those are like, that's my tribe. Those are my people. Now I can't imagine going through life without that. But, but then I really like God really had to get my attention in a big way. Cause I wasn't, I didn't even know that's what I was looking for. So I loved learning. I loved new ideas. I loved putting them together. Um, I was certainly a voracious reader. Um, kind, I would say worldly um, exposed to a lot of different ways of thinking in the world, but not, um, it seems so funny in retrospect, but not at all religious or spiritual or godly. It just that just that whole dimension of life had no resonance for me. It just didn't, it, it was as if it didn't even, um, it just didn't play a part. I just didn't know anybody who, um, who was like that. Right. Right. You didn't, you didn't know what was out there. So it's, it's interesting to hear that. I feel like, and I'm not sure if you come upon us as well, but I come upon a lot of people out in the world at large that feel really turned off by certain elements of religion as a whole, uh, perhaps for their perception of, of what it is. And I think oftentimes when we're on the outside of something, we can have a lot of ideas about the way things are or, or what we've seen or the parts we've seen without seeing uh, different perspectives. So I'm curious in your journey, was there something in particular that opened your eyes or something you saw that changed your mind? I mean, here you went from someone in your 20s who you said had no spiritual exposure or religious exposure. And then there you were, how many years later, marrying a pulpit rabbi? What a story. Right. right. I, I really, I think I meant, I said it before, but I just want to really underline this. It was purely an intellectual curiosity that got me studying a anything about Judaism, taking this introduction to Judaism class, and just sort of an openness to experiences. So when I started studying with, um, with this religious woman, who was significantly younger than me at the time, even, um, and pregnant with her second child, because she came from a traditional background, um, I, she would suggest having certain experiences. And so I would say, okay, well, that's cool. I'll give that a try. Uh, it really wasn't an epiphanous kind of a thing more. It was more a gradual transition when, um, you know, I never intended to keep Shabbat or to keep kosher like that. It wasn't a conscious decision. It was, I'll give this a whirl. And then it stuck. Um, and I, I, I want to emphasize that this is already many decades ago, but, um, but I, I think that, that, that time was all preparation for me so that I could do a better job guiding people who are coming, um, coming along a similar path. And it wasn't, it wasn't an easy transition. I had particularly in the beginning um, a lot of difficulty because I came from a secular academic background and I come to Judaism and I do not like what I'm hearing about the role of women, um, which mm. I felt was very, the way it was given over to me was very limiting and it didn't resonate with me. And um, I spent the first year of my really kind of beginning of my hardcore Jewish life in tears 
because on the one hand, I was very drawn to what I believed was the truth about Torah and that it, um, that a, a Jewish life was the answer for me. And at the same time, I was so profoundly repelled by some of the things that I was learning about the way the role of women was, um, was shaped for me, where it was explained to me. Now, many women might have just dropped out at that point and said, you know, this is nice and everything, but this is not for me. It took me a really long time to integrate these two parts of my personality. Um, I believe I have done that, um, not in small measure due to all of the reading and um, finding certain teachers who explain these issues in a much deeper way. Uh, but it's, I think what you were saying before about some people um, who judge religion from the outside, I have to say it is very helpful for me to remember that we live in an unredeemed world. And I, I believe that in its essence, the Torah is perfect, but I don't believe that our um, application of the Torah is perfect. I don't believe that the, the world that we live in right now um, is is flawless and is exactly um, expressing the complete perfection of Torah. And that's something that I, one of the reasons why redemption, what we say in Hebrew, geula, the whole idea that God will bring the world to a more perfect state is so important to keep in mind because we only have part of the story. And the trick or the um, the opportunity is to hold on to what the kernel of the truth is while um, while understanding that some of what's going on around us is imperfect and um, and not ideal. So it took me a certain number of years of spiritual maturity to be able to say that. Um, and maybe that shocks people or scares people or whatever, but I think it says, to me, it says that um, something even better than what we have now is coming. Right now, um, the the world that I live in is uh, full of conflict um, and some things are still hard for me, but I think this is the best possible life for a Jew. And um, and I trust that it will get, it would only get better when we move further along the, the path toward full redemption. I love that so much. And I think it brings up so many questions when you talk about this idea of redemption, in my own mind, I see a perfected world, a world of peace, a world where conflicts are resolved, and a world where there's justice. Now, you bring up conflict, and yet in spite of the conflict that we might see, you mentioned really focusing on and hanging on to this kernel of truth. Sometimes people pitch me a story about some something that's going on that really needs the a journalist um, to shine some light on it because there's some scandal or whatever, I really stay away, like by design, I stay away from those kind of stories that somebody should do it, but not me. Um, and so I just really want to make God look good in the world. I want to make godly people look good in the world. I want to, I want to write about people who are doing interesting things in the land of Israel so that, um, so that my work is, um, touches people and inspires them to be better people, to um, to appreciate what we have here in Israel, even though it's not perfect. Um, so that's my work work. 
It's so incredible. It's so incredible because, you know, so often people complain that there's so much negativity in the news and so much scandal. And yet here you are and you're highlighting the good. You're highlighting the kindness and the innovations and you're inspiring people. Well, I don't know if I'm inspiring people, but I am. Well, <laughs> I, am. I know. I know that you're inspiring people. Oh, well, thank um, you. Uh, it is, it is a very conscious decision. I, that's the point I wanted to make that um, I, I really think that that's part of Gaula. That's part of bringing redemption is to focus on the good. And in my, in my own spiritual practice, um, I also try to focus on the good and try to, um, to thank God in a very explicit way for, um, for the very many blessings that I have and that all of us have in it. That is part of a, a spiritual discipline that, um, kind of goes together that it, it, um, is, I think my husband calls this the missing tile syndrome. And he says, if you imagine this beautiful mosaic and in the, uh, you know, in the upper right hand corner, it's made up of, you know, thousands of pieces of mosaic and in the upper right hand corner, there's something missing and people tend to perseverate and focus on that. I think that, um, I'm trying to break myself of that, um, that habit or the, you know, that predisposition, so that in order to do that, I actively focus on um, what is good, even while acknowledging that we're not yet in a redeemed world, and we're not yet living um, in that idealist, I, um, what's idyllic world yeah. that you described that I think is coming, but we're not there yet. I love that so much. So you're consciously focused not only in your work as a journalist and a freelance writer, on highlighting the good, but also as a part of your spiritual practice, you are working on overcoming the negativity bias, the, the, the tendency to focus on that missing tile and rather shine a light on everything else that's in place. It's interesting that I didn't realize that until I was describing it to you that they definitely are married. They're definitely, um, it's, they're both true, but I didn't make that link until I tried to explain it to you. So thank you for that. You're so welcome. It's like the, the macro and the micro, you know, the greater world and then personal. And, and w- one other thing that I want to share with our listeners that perhaps, you know, s- some of us may take for granted is that as much as you talk about this redemption coming in God, perfecting the world and, and this new, you know, this era of wholeness that's, that's coming about, it's not as though one sits back and waits for it. This is something that we actively participate in. Right? Yes and no. Yes and no. Yes, we are. Um, I don't believe, and you may believe otherwise, or listeners may believe otherwise. I don't personally believe that we have the ability to bring redemption from our own hands. As a matter of fact, part of one of the one of the lessons we're supposed to learn in preparing ourselves spiritually for this redemptive period is that God runs the world. And I say that all the time, whenever something, something happens, you know, if I don't get this that I was hoping to get, or this doesn't work out or whatever, that God runs the world. And it is not, we live in an era where people rely very much. It's very Western thinking to rely very much on, um, the strength and the power of our own abilities. And I think part of preparing for Gaula, part of preparing for a time when God's revelation will be just so, so much clearer is to, to humble ourselves a little bit and understand that whatever gifts we have that God gave us to move things forward in the world, we are obligated to, um, to use in a, in a healthy way 
and to raise consciousness about becoming Ga'ula and so forth. At least I feel that way for myself. But I don't think that it's sufficient to bring Ga'ula. So we have to do our part being ready, and God has to do his part to, to bring it forward. So it's uh, teamwork. I hear what you're saying. So it's not as though we can sit around and wait. Uh, you, you do feel that there's a responsibility for us to use our gifts in this world, which, which is what you're sure. doing in your writing and, right, and your teaching, um, and that, that it's really a partnership and a relationship of, of creating this piece. So, so you were speaking a little bit about the writing that you do, and then you said that there's another piece to your work as well. Yes, thank you. Okay. This is the part that is um, the most controversial and um, the most misunderstood. The other stuff is, you know, kind of nice. Like who could argue with that? I write nice stories about good people. <laughs> That's not, <laughs> not really controversial. Um, but part of um, part of what God gave me to do in this world in the last couple of years is to really embody the um, the Torah concept of being a light to the nations. Now, what I used to think that meant was the Jews all come back to Israel. We create this sort of ideal society based on Torah values. And the rest of the world looks upon us and says, wow, they really got something good going. I want to be like that. That's what I thought it meant. Um, but what I understand now is that as part of, I totally 100% see this as part of the revelation of this messianic process of this redemptive process that there are millions of people all over the world who are not jews and probably will never become jews um, who are whose hearts and souls are opening up to the power of torah and what they lack is relationships with jewish people and that is what um the path that God set me on. And that is the work that I do that's very controversial. So what what that means is that I am, um, I'm not the only one, but I have to tell you, there's not a lot of us out there, not yet anyway. I hope someday that that will change. But <clears throat> I am one of a relatively small group, and I'm speaking a dozen, maybe two dozen that I know of in the English speaking world of Jewish people who are very grounded in Torah, who are willing to build bridges with people from mostly from Christian backgrounds who are pointed towards the land of Israel, the God of Israel, the Jewish people, and the Torah. What that means for various people varies tremendously because people are on journeys and when I meet them, they maybe just be solidly Christian, but just um, really admire what, what the Jews are doing in Israel and they come and visit and so forth all the way to, well, all the way to people who convert, but I don't know so many of them, but I know a tremendous number of non-Jews in between who are um, relearning the significance of, of the, the Torah that was given to the Jewish people. So I used to think, and I think a lot of Jews, I have to assume that a lot of Jews think this also, that the Torah is ours and God gave it to us and it's ours as in it's ours exclusively. And I certainly used to think that as well. Um, I And I used to think like 
you Christians, you have like your own thing, go, you do your thing, we'll do our thing, let's just leave us alone, we'll leave you alone, and so forth. What I came to understand, or what, what I think that God has shown me over the last couple of years, is that the Torah is certainly has many, many, many messages that are exclusively for the Jewish people, but also has universal wisdom that was intended to be shared more widely throughout the whole world. And there are a number of um, verses in the books of prophets that, that speak about this. But the time wasn't right until very, very recently. And now we live in a world, and most Jews are clueless about this, but this is the world that, that God put me in, of millions of people who are starting to ask very, very serious questions about their own faith system, about their own relationship to um, all of these things that I said, the land of Israel, the Torah, and so forth. And, um, and I am one of those people who is trying to respond to that. So a couple years ago, as you mentioned, I edited this book called 10 from the Nations, Torah Awakening Among Non-Jews, which was really a journal. It was an extended journalistic piece. It, I didn't make any, except in the introduction, and I spoke a little bit about what I believe is going on, but really it was just an opportunity for people um, to tell their stories, their spiritual stories, very much like what your podcast is like, how they are, how they got to be even interested in anything having to do with Jews or Torah, the land of Israel or whatever. And then, so there's 37 chapters of people telling their stories and they're in various places. And then there's, um, I think 12 chapters of, from Jewish people like me who are willing to answer questions and engage in relationships and, and so forth. So that's the, in a, not such a small nutshell, but that's the, the mission that I really feel that so many of the strands of my life um, have brought me to the fact that I speak English because I think that's really important because most of these people are, um, are English speakers. The fact that I am a rabbi's wife, the fact that I'm a Torah Jew, the fact that I live in Israel, the fact that I am an educator, the, the fact that I wasn't raised in a, uh, in a, I was raised in a Jewish home, but you know what I mean, in a traditional home so that I have a, a, a kind of a bigger perspective of the world and how it works. All of those things came together and, and I really feel like God tapped me and said, I need you to be uh, my partner in this work because there are millions of people all over the world who are starting to ask questions and they need Jewish answers or they need answers from Jews. And um a lot of Jews don't like that I do this, but um, I feel a hundred, a thousand percent, a million percent that this is part of my work in bringing Gaula. You know, it's incredible. I, I think we know when we're onto something when we have an opposition. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <That> is good. <laughs> you know, I, I learned that from a, from a professor of, of leadership who's, who's now passed away. Dr. Pedro Garcia, and he, he said that, you know, you know you're onto something when you have people coming after you with uh, bows and arrows. And he talked about some of the greatest presidents and greatest leaders of all time. And the truth is, is that disruption is disruptive. So right. I, I found your work and was inspired by you because I began to feel over years of being within the uh, observant fold, I also came from a secular, a pretty secular background, very open-minded, very worldly. Um, learned across cultures and religions and came into this world now within Israel and within the, the Torah fold and began to feel that 
what I was seeing in the, the secular world of inspiration and motivation, and even um, neuroscience, uh, business psychology, across the, the board, I was seeing these so-called new ideas coming out. And at the same time, I, I could open the Torah and find these same things that are, these ideas that are ancient about, about uh, the human mind, about the way we think, about ways of living and ways of connecting. And I feel very much that there are so many people leaving the fold of religion for better or worse and looking for something more. And I know it's there. I know it's within Torah. And I know it's, as you said, perhaps not always being uh, parlayed accurately, 100%. It's maybe a little bit less than perfect, but it's, it's definitely there. I think it's definitely right. there. It's and there are people, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Go ahead. There are people who are recognizing that. And I think that God is going around, just like he tapped me on the shoulder a number of times in my life and said, here, I'm putting you on this path. Uh, it's so clear to me that he's he is kind of plucking individuals out of um, circumstances like you and I had, and like many of my students have had, that are far from um, what we what he wants of us. And he he makes us a little uncomfortable. He puts certain people in our paths. He um, bring certain questions to mind, and all of that is to move us along, and it's happening all over the place. And I, I, I think that you're right that I, I try to take the criticism um, not so deeply to heart because the truth is I get it from both sides. I get it from Jews and I get it from non-Jews who have this. Um, they're also sometimes critical of what I do, thinking that I'm, I'm trying to turn everybody into a clone of me, which is really kind of silly, but um, that is what I hear. And um, what I'm just watching this process unfolding, I'm not waking these people up. That's something clearly God is doing. And my somebody said about me recently that I'm loud on social media. And I think that what she meant is that I'm, I'm active. And one of the reasons why I'm active is because I am trying always to put out these messages of um, uh, Kiddush Hashem, what we, what we call um, making God look good in the world. Um, but also I want to be receptive. I want people to find me. I want to hear their questions um, because we live in a time when a lot of Torah literature is, translated into English, not everything, but a lot. And a lot of anybody who speaks English can go online and listen to Torah classes, you know, from now until the cows come home, so to speak, whatever that means. Um, but what they lack is personal relationships with actual Jews and especially Jews who live in the land. And, um, and that's the piece that I'm, I'm trying to, fill that I asked I think that God has asked me to fill and it's enormously enormously inspiring to me because I I came to Judaism through the cure movement through the movement of of Jews who felt a commitment to share Torah with with um, assimilated secular Jews and I appreciate that um, that work beyond measure but that's not what God asked me to do personally to reach out to unaffiliated Jews it's so clear to me that he put me on this path to, um, to 
be a representation, what I said before, of Orla Goyim, to bring the beauty and the universality of, um, of Torah into the world and to respond to people whose hearts and souls are open and who are looking for, um, for the truth of Torah that, that you and I know is in there. So, so this is fascinating. So now you feel, you, you know that your job is to be the light into the nations, as you said, but it doesn't mean what you brought up earlier. You were speaking about how you used to believe that a light into the nations meant that Israel would be this idyllic society and that the world would look at us. And that's not what you think now. So how do you, how do you understand this concept? I know this concept in itself is incredibly controversial as well. So I'm curious. The concept of Orla Goyim? Yes. Okay. So what I think it, it is on two levels. One is what I was saying is that the Jews were given the Torah, the Jewish people were given the Torah to hold and to guard it until such time as the rest of the world was ready for the wisdom of the Torah in whatever ways is appropriate for the non-Jewish world. But we have been fighting uh, people who are trying to kill us, people are trying to convert us, people kick us out of their countries, um, all kinds of awful things for such a long time that we forgot that that was a temporary stage and a time would come when we would be, we would be the, the spokespeople, so to speak, for Torah messages in the world. So that's certainly part of it. The other part, though, on a very um, practical level is that Israel, and by, by which I mean the land of Israel, the, the Medina of Israel, the state of Israel, the Jewish people, all of that, we are also, I think, supposed to help the world solve human problems. And when, when I think about the innovation that comes out of Israel on a technical level, um, in water, in agriculture, in high tech, all of those kinds of things that other people have written about much much better than I ever could, that that is also part of being Orlegoyim. That is part of helping, helping humanity solve problems that human beings have. It is not, I'm, I, listen, I, I think there's a general sense that, that a lot of Jews are smart and we certainly value education and maybe that's truer of us than other cultures, I don't know. But there's no way to understand the, um, the degree to which Israel creates innovation that that helps people all over the world except that god is helping us do that because that's our mission that god is giving us the um the insights to innovate i think there are there are certainly books that try to explain it on a practical level um of what is it about israeli culture that that manifests itself in in so much innovation and i'm not saying that those things are not also true but it's not the whole story i think that we have like a little sprinkle of uh of um like god dust or something that that makes it that helps us do our job it's interesting i remember hearing someone say once that that the that just breathing in the air of, of jerusalem makes a person wise and i wonder if there's something in the air here that's inspiring the people to keep work on solving these problems, as you said. Right. It's, really, it's really beautiful. Um, it's really beautiful to think about. And I'm curious to learn a little bit more about your students and the people who are coming to you and, and what are they interested in learning about and what are you teaching them? Okay. So um, they love anything that has to do 
<laughs> with the end of days, that's actually, I would say 99% of my students are coming from Christian backgrounds. Whether they identify as Christians anymore is really varied, okay? Um, but they, many of them do still have some significant spiritual relationship with the, the individual that um, we know as Jesus, and they sometimes call Yeshua because they believe that was his Hebrew name. Um, but as they evolve, they, um, they don't sit so comfortably with the, the title of Christian. But you and I and most Jewish people would consider them Christian in the sense that they have this significant spiritual relationship with the leader of the, of the faith system we call Christianity. Okay. But um, what they most want to know besides things that are connected to end of days, they are very, very biblically oriented and, but they mostly don't know any Hebrew. And so um, most of the questions I, that I get are Bible based and and you and I know that there's a huge paradigm shift that they have to go through as they become closer or deeper in their Torah study. And many of them fight this in the beginning, um, that in Judaism, we have the written Torah and we have the oral Torah. And as Orthodox Jews, we, we balance them as both being um, legitimate um, legitimate aspects of God's revelation in the world. But Christians are taught that everything that is not literally in the Bible is circumspect. And um, that's a nice way of putting it. They're taught that it's demonic or evil or whatever. And so um, one of the big jobs that I have is to help them understand that Torah wisdom is not exclusively in the Bible. Because um, they they will say, you know, where in the Bible can I find this? Where in the Bible can I find that? And it, it isn't that isn't always the case. So I, I would say that that's a huge part of what I do. But another part of what I do that I just love so much is um, my husband and I bring them into our home for a Shabbat meal or a, a meal on a, um, on a Jewish holiday so that they can see a Torah home, so that they can see what, um, practically speaking, what it looks like to observe Shabbat. Um, in Israel with a Jewish family and so forth. And that's, that is uh, just kind of the way that we, the way that we build relationships with, um, with these people. And then, then I, I just love them so much because they're so sincere and they're trying so hard to follow God's path and they have so many questions. And it also deepens my own Torah study because I, I have to go back into the books. I ha I don't always know their answer off the top of my head. Um, and, and so we have this symbiotic relationship where they push me to learn more and to learn how to express Torah thoughts um, in ways that they can receive them. And, um, and they're doing their own work. And, and their work is really painful, much more painful than mine, um, despite whatever criticism I come across, because they're reshaping how they understand what God expects of them. And, and that's a really painful process, like peeling off layers of skin, but they're so devoted and so, um, so seriously pursuing truth that I just have so much reverence and um, admiration for the process that they're in. It's incredible. I, I, I'm not sure if you do you ever go to the, there's a parade every year on Sukkot, the parade of the nations. I'm familiar with it. I've actually never been. Oh, okay. So about 15 years ago, I, I wrote about this briefly in, in my recent book. 
where I, we were living in Jerusalem and we walked outside of our home and I heard all of this singing and dancing and noise. And there walking up the street were hundreds of people with flags from all different countries singing Hebrew songs. And when we went to go meet them, we realized that they were people from around the world, not of the Jewish faith, who came here. And flash forward to this year, I mean, this parade has grown. It's now thousands and thousands of people. And we took our kids this year and spoke to some of the participants from, I mean, countries around the world. And they are, I believe most of them identify as Christian. I think it's become more diverse now. But it's so incredible to see that people from all around the world come here and they also recognize that part of Torah and part of the the calling of the people of Israel and the beauty of the land of Israel is that historically, the Jews have always prayed for the prosperity of the whole world. Right. We're not just thinking, we're not just over here thinking about ourselves. I mean, our mission is peace, peace on earth, right? hundred percent. It's, you know what, I, I think this kind of brings it full circle because we started out talking about, or earlier, we, we spoke about how I only write stories, positive stories, and I try to really focus on gratitude in my life and so forth. And I think one of the reasons I love this work, despite the controversy, is that every day I am in touch with people who are reaching for truth, reaching for, for godliness, and um, and they happen to have a tremendous reverence also for the Torah and for the land of Israel, for the Jewish people. So I know that there are there are people who are in the public who are advocating for Israel against a lot of hatred and against a lot of political corruption and, and all that. And that's fabulous if that's your job, but there's a lot of negativity in that. And I have the real privilege of um, spending my, my time trying to walk alongside people who see what's good in the Jewish people and who see what's good in the land of Israel and who see what's good in the Torah and the God of what they call the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and who want more of that. And so how could I not, um, how could I not cherish this opportunity that God has given me because it all fits together that I am really in all of the different aspects of the work that I do, um, trying to shine positivity into the world. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real Thank pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was, a, it was fun to talk with you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us on this incredible episode with Dr. Rivka Lambert-Adler. If you'd like to connect and learn more about her work and what she does, you can visit 10fromthenations.com or email Rivka, R-I-V-K-A-H, at kotevet.com. That's K-O-T-E-V-E-T.com. Check out the show notes for more information and links to connect with Rivka. Thanks for being here and we'll see you next time on Within Us.